Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Well, good morning, Crossview Church. Welcome to Church Online. What an incredible week we had last week as we celebrated Easter and the resurrection of Jesus. I'm so thankful to be part of this faith family as we journey together as disciples of our resurrected King. Well, today we begin a new six-week series looking more specifically at who Jesus is. We're going to do that uh, by taking a look at several of the I am statements that Jesus made about himself. Sounds fun, right? Well, I think so. So, you know, years ago, when I was starting at a previous church, someone gave me an incredible, practic- uh, an incredibly practical gift. They went around and with a camera and took pictures of everyone in the church. They printed these pictures out, put them in a book, and labeled all the pictures with names underneath. Oh, wow, I was so thankful for that. For the first several weeks, I would sit in my office, which looked out into the parking lot, and as people would come in, I would match faces with pictures and names, and then I would go out and I would greet them by name. It really helped me learn some names quickly, and I was so, so thankful. Are you good with names? I'm not necessarily good with names right away. It usually takes me some time to connect faces and names, especially now with masks on. But names are important. In Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, published in 1936, he wrote this. Remember that a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. That's kind of cool, huh? Names are what transform acquaintances into friends. Uh, It's what begins to make a relationship a more personal connection. I know you and you know me. And so it would make sense that a God interested in a personal relationship would have a personal name and that we should know it. That's cool. What I like about these I am statements is we get an ever deepening understanding of the name and the character of our God. So we're going to read at the beginning of Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 is the story most known as the story of the burning bush. And this story is well known and it begins with Moses taking care of some sheep in the middle of a desert. When all of a sudden he sees a bush that's on fire, but that is not burning up. So I'm sure uh, like anyone would do, Moses goes over to check out this crazy sight. And as he's checking out the bush that won't burn up, the voice of God speaks to him, calls to him by name and says, Moses, Moses. So right away, we see that God knows Moses' name. But Moses, at this point in the story, doesn't know what to call God. Have you ever been in that scenario? Has someone ever tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, remember me? And maybe it's this kind of awkward moment, this awkward situation. You're like, hey, there, (laughs) right? Uh, it's, It's noteworthy at this point that God knows Moses' name. And I just want to point out that if I ever forget your name, God won't. He knows you. He knows your name and he loves you. He knows your name because he's a personal God that loves you deeply and personally. God then gives Moses what seems like an impossible task. He says, Moses, I want you to go to Egypt and I want you to bring my people, the Israelites, out of captivity. And this is the beginning of what we know as the Exodus story. 
And so Moses thinks about this and he begins to argue about why he's not able to do what is asked of him. And one of his pushbacks is, God, I don't know who to tell them sent me. And it says this in Exodus 3, 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Now this might sound like a funny question, but it's a good one. Because in Egypt, there's not just one God, but there are lots of gods. And they'll want to know which God is it that sends you on this mission. Is it the God of the sun or the God of the animals? Is this now the God of the burning bush, right? So Moses wants to know, when they ask, who should I say is sending me on this mission? On whose authority am I acting? And in Exodus 3, 14 through 15, it says this. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. So God gives his name as I am, or if you say it in Hebrew, it's close to the word that we use, Yahweh. Now there's a lot of fun that we could have in studying the original language and what this name means exactly. We won't go into that now, but essentially the original hearers would have understood God's name, this I am name, to mean something like, I cause to be, the originator, the creator of all things. Therefore, the name should be uh, understood as, as referring to God as the creator, the originator, the sustainer of all that exists, and therefore the Lord of both creation and history. Pretty cool, right? This is the, the, but this name is, is also an active word, which means that God is active in all that is happening and all that has happened. A God active and present, the creator of all things, an active presence now and the author and sustainer of the future. Maybe for Moses, this is a jaw-dropping moment. Uh, Wow, I wonder if he's thinking that's way better than I expected. I I was kind of being facetious, God. I I just was giving you an excuse because I don't want to do what you're asking me to do, right? But don't miss out on the fact that when God gave his name to Moses, it personalized God a bit. We can know God. We can understand God a little bit. We can begin as best as possible, begin to relate to God, especially because he said he's still active in the world, alive and doing things. This is, as we know, uh, as the New Testament puts it, very good news. So God has a name and he wanted his people to know that. But here is one of the coolest parts of all of this. God gets even more personal as we move through the Old Testament toward the New Testament. This is a series uh, for another time, but as we get closer to the New Testament, the covenants between God and humanity get more personal, right up to the point where God comes to us himself. In scripture, we go from hearing the name of God, I am, to seeing the the face of God in the person of Jesus. Wow. So back to the Old Testament. The name I am was considered by Jews to be so holy that they did not want to speak it. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? So God makes the the personal move of disclosing his name, but the Jewish tradition out of respect decided not to use it. 
They would not speak God's name, but instead they would use substitutes for it. So we get things like Adonai or Hashem in the, in the Old Testament. But all of this gets turned on its head when Jesus comes along because Jesus begins to use God's name for himself. And it makes a lot of people very angry. So think about this. There were a lot of people who wanted to kill Jesus, right? They were angry uh, about all of the different kinds of things that he was doing. There was some real hate for Jesus. And some of that hate stemmed from the fact that he claimed the name of God. So remember that some of these people, uh, they grew up with Jesus. They remember his mom and his dad. They, they knew the town he grew up in. And then he starts saying stuff like, Hey, you remember how unspeakable God's name is? I am? Well, I am. I am. This made people, especially the religious authorities, really mad. Not only does he speak the name of God, but he uses it for himself. Listen to what he says in John chapter 8, uh, 58 through 59. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. Isn't that incredible? Jesus claims the name of God, the, the name that God called himself in the burning bush. And this isn't the only time he does that. In multiple places throughout the Gospels, especially in the Gospel of John, Jesus uses other I am statements as well. And what he's doing is giving us a more complete picture of God, of himself, and an even more personal connection with who he is and what he's asking for us and what he's going to do for us. He says things like, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door or I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. And these are the things that we're going to be looking at for the next six, week, six weeks as we go through this series. We're looking at six of these provocative statements where Jesus reveals himself to be God by using this I am statement as he comes closer to you and to me. These names might not seem very provocative to us, but they certainly were to the first people who heard them. Uh, and this, I think, is going to be a lot of fun for us to dive into. So we're going to start by just looking at one of those today in John chapter 6, where we find the first I am statement. And as we come into this story, uh, it's Jesus speaking in a synagogue with other Jewish people, and the conversation takes a historical turn. Someone, as Jesus is talking to them, uh, brings up Moses, who lived 1,500 years before this moment. They recalled how Moses provided Israelites with bread uh, as they wandered around the desert. At least they thought it was Moses, right? And on the journey from Egypt to the Promised Land, each morning, they would wake up and find a bread-like substance called manna. And when someone brings this up, here's how Jesus responds in John chapter 6, starting in verse 32. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, my father did, and now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never uh, be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. 
Wow, powerful words from Jesus. This story comes on the heels of Jesus feeding the 5,000, where Jesus has compassion on the crowds and tells his disciples to feed everyone from five loaves and two fishes that were given to him by a young boy. Jesus has literally and spiritually, he's giving people bread just like God did in the Old Testament story. And Jesus redirects the conversation away from physical hunger toward this idea of spiritual hunger. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now we all know what physical hunger is, but do you know what spiritual hunger is? Do you know what the thirst for deep and inward fulfillment feels like? In Psalm 42, starting in verse one, it says this, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Now that is spiritual hunger and thirst. More than anything else, that that hunger and thirst stems from the need of refreshment of our soul. And Jesus said, again in John 6, 32, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did, and now he offers you true bread, a way to get this fulfillment, uh, this desire fulfilled. And Jesus says, the true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. I am that bread. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus has shown himself to be capable of providing actual bread to actually hungry people. And I love how Jesus sometimes takes care of the practical needs uh, of people in order to get them to pay attention to their spiritual needs. And Jesus does this. He does these miracles of bread as a demonstration, not only of his power, but as a demonstration uh, of, of God's concern for people. In a sense, he says, if your cupboards are bare and you don't have the money for food, God cares about that. But Jesus says that he meets a need that even, that's even deeper than that. He satisfies this hunger for true and authentic life. Uh, and that's what he means when he says, I am the bread of life. Years ago, uh, I started working out regularly and going on runs. And one of the things that I learned quickly is that as, as I started exercising regularly, I needed to increase the amount of food that I took in so that I had enough to, to recover and heal and continue on. At times, I didn't do that well enough. And so there were times where I would feel so hungry or times I didn't know I was as hungry as I was. And then when I ate some food, enough food, the right kind of food, it started, it felt like my body like turned on uh, its energy. It all of a sudden had energy. Everything came to life. I was energized and satisfied and it felt wonderful. And I was ready to go for some more runs. What's fascinating is that that feeling of being alive, truly alive, is actually the word that Jesus uses here. It's the word zoe. Zoe. And uh, he gives the bread of life, the bread of Zoe, that's full and abundant. Yet even though we know about this, Jesus, maybe we've even experienced it ourselves, we still find ourselves looking for this kind of experience of life and sometimes in the wrong places. 
You know, most addictions have their roots in trying to satisfy a deeper hunger, uh, a seeking for deep relief. We find this in those kinds of attitudes and actions, trying to fulfill something that Jesus says really can only come from him. We have all of these ways that we try to escape the feeling of, of maybe being alone or, or stressed out or we have difficulty, uh, conflict in our life. And we're looking for fulfillment for, or relief from all of those things. And maybe we look for it at the wrong places. But unfulfilled spiritual hunger will reveal itself in the form of some kind of appetite. And Jesus is saying, I am the kind of thing that will fulfill that like nothing else. So as we look at our lives again and as we begin to think about what Jesus says about himself, we need to hear Jesus speaking to us in a powerful way. First, we need to recognize that he's claiming, he's calling himself I am, and he's saying that I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry in this way again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So I just want to encourage you uh, to take some time to reflect and to pray this week. Where is it that you... Uh, are, are seeking life? Where is it that your soul may be hungry, hungering and thirsting after God? What might be some of the unhealthy aspects of your life that you need to ask God to be the center of that fulfillment? We all have those kinds of moments in life. So what we find in this chapter here in John chapter 6 is a couple of really important things that we need to realize. Number one, that Jesus is who he's claiming to be as I am. He's connecting himself with the Old Testament image, that Old Testament name of God. And he says, it is, it is, I've been working from the beginning so that you will recognize that I am the only true source of life that you will ever receive. The only true source that will fully fulfill uh, those hungers and desires that you have. It's an amazing image that Jesus uses as he connects himself to the story of the Old Testament, both in who, he's, who he is, his name, but also the, the story of the Old Testament, that seminal Exodus story where God provides in meaningful, abundant, and daily ways for his people, for you and for me. So let's pray and uh, give our, ourselves more and more to Jesus as we think about this this week. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful uh, for this story, so thankful for these, these ways that you're connecting yourself from the very beginning of the story to these moments here in the Gospels, in the Gospel of John. Thank you that you are revealing more of who you are, uh, your heart for us, uh, calling us deeper into discipleship. We love you. We love these stories. We love the Bible. Help us do some reflecting this week. And show us, shine a light on our heart and our mind and show us where, God, uh, are we trying to maybe fulfill some appetite or uh, a desire to be satisfied with other things, things that are not you. And God, help us, uh, help us ask for your forgiveness in those areas and turn toward you uh, as we want to follow you more and more. We thank you that you are the abundant life that we're seeking. We love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's continue to worship.